I don't know if you've ever felt like Mark did in that season. Like, like maybe you've received this promise, this dream from God, and then somehow you, you find yourself in this dark place, wondering, how did I end up here? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe a divorce. Maybe your relationship with your kids. Maybe it's a business that never worked out or a job you never got. Well, if that's you, you're not alone. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but on Sunday, the 30th of Jan, we will be celebrating Grace Family Church's 30th birthday. 30 years. Can you believe it? And the reason we wanted to show you that clip today is to help you realize that grace has a history. Grace has a context and that you and I are part of a much bigger story, a God story. We like to say that the story we are part of is much bigger than the part we play in the story. I think sometimes people kind of arrive at Grace and, or log in online and they think that this is always how it's been. But the reality is there was a lot of pain and sacrifice and wrestling and even doubt in getting to where we are today as a community, as a church. But, but through it all, God has been so, so faithful we start a new series today called Dare to Dream. And it's a series looking at the life of Joseph found in the book of Genesis. And Joseph's story is such an interesting one because Joseph also had a dream. A dream that God gave him that one day he would be a powerful and influential person. And yet, for so much of his story, Joseph is not powerful or influential. In fact, everything seems to go wrong for the guy. I mean, first he finds himself in a pit thrown in by his brothers, then in a prison for a crime he never committed, and eventually in a palace as the prime minister of Egypt. From pit to prison to palace. I mean, it's an incredible story filled with all kinds of ups and downs. Now, to, to fully understand the story of Joseph, Joseph, I think we first have to understand the story of Abram. Uh, you probably know him as Abraham. You see, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, uh, we see the, the setup of the basic storyline of the entire Bible. And kind of in a nutshell, God has created all things and He makes humans in His image to rule the world on His behalf. But humans choose independence and rebellion, and so the world kind of spins out of control into violence and death and chaos. And it all leads up to this point, this rebellion and the scattering of the people in Babylon at the Tower of Babel. Um, but, but then the story kind of takes a little bit of a turn. And out of that scattering, the authors begin to trace the genealogy of just one family that eventually leads to this person, Abraham. And uh, you may know the story. God makes all these promises to Abraham that he's going to bless him and give him, you know, an inheritance and give him tons of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are going to find God's blessing. Basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden that we see right at the beginning of the book of Genesis uh, to his original intentions. And so it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And so that's why this, the whole second half of the book of Genesis is really focusing on this one family. And so you have Abraham, and, and then he has a son called Isaac, who has a son called Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And, and to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all the nations through them. Now, I kind of want to stop there because 
the problem for us as Christians today, especially if you know that story of read that story, is that it's easy for us to read these stories or these characters thousands of years later and then see them as, you know, how to examples of how to be a good person or, you know, heroes of the faith. But actually, for the most part, I mean, this family is completely dysfunctional. I mean, read it. I mean, Abraham basically gives his wife Sarah away for sex twice, denies she's even his wife. I mean, how do you think that would go down? Um, then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant, which then causes all sorts of other problems. Um, then, then when they do eventually have this, their promised son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, he steals his brother Esau's birthright from his father, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. I mean, it's, it's horrible. I mean, who does that? Uh, honestly, this story reads like Game of Thrones on steroids, but, and it doesn't get better. I mean, now we get to Joseph, uh, and, and Joseph was Jacob's, who's also called Israel, Jacob's 11th son. And it, remember, Jacob, uh, he didn't believe in contraception. No, no he, he had 12 sons, it's a big family. And then Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, the most. That's what the Bible says. Um, and so let me pick up in Genesis 37, verse 3, um, which says this. Now Israel loved Joseph, Israel's Jacob, more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. You may have heard of Joseph and his technicolor dream coat. Well, this is the coat. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And then it says Joseph had a dream. Here comes the dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. The story goes on. It says, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. At which point I would stop Joseph right now and say, hey, listen, Joseph, come here, bro. Um, just a heads up, like, maybe you, you don't want to, you know, just maybe keep those dreams to yourself. Don't tell your brothers. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, it's not working out. But anyway, he doesn't listen. He, he, he's 17 and he says, listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And of course, the brothers hate him even more. So much so that they plan on killing him. Now, now, they don't actually kill him, but instead what they do is they strip him of his coat, the coat that his father had given him, and they throw him into an empty well, into a pit. And, and then eventually, after some arguing, they decide to sell him as a slave in Egypt for 20 shekels. And, and, and after he's gone, they take his coat and they dip it in goat's blood and they convince Jacob that Joseph must have been killed by a wild animal. They, they basically lie. Now, before I move on with the story, the, the, the things that Joseph's brothers do to him are all significant. And, and they actually foreshadow what would happen to Jesus. But, but what they do is, the first thing they do is they strip him of his coat. And of course, we know the coat represented his identity as a beloved son of his father Jacob. Then they sell him for 20 shekels. And, and if you kind of look into the context in the history, 20 shekels is like a, it's like a trifling kind of meaningless amount. It's, it's, it's like kind of almost making a statement that something is worthless. 
And so the brothers are trying to say to Joseph, hey, you're worthless. You, you have no value to us or to anyone. We want to see you gone. And then finally, they lie about Joseph. They deceive his father. And of course, they frame his death. And, and these are all important details. And we're going to come back to them. But as I was kind of reading the story, reflecting on it, I wondered if there's anyone listening to this now who has had what has happened to Joseph happen to them. Where maybe people have tried to strip you of your identity, tried to tell you who you are or who you're not. Maybe you haven't been thrown into a pit, but I wonder if there's anyone listening to this who's been made to feel worthless or told you're worthless. I wonder if there's anyone listening to this who's been lied to or lied about. And maybe people have hid things from you, or maybe people have said things about you or behind your back that are simply not true. Well, if that's you, I want you to identify with Joseph today and ultimately with Jesus because both knew the pain of being rejected, of being cast out, of being made to feel less than. And so as you reflect on your own story, what is your pit? Name it. Embrace it. Because your pit may just be the path to your purpose. That's what happened to Joseph. Let's get back to the story. We, and we're going to get in much more detail over the next few weeks into the rest of Joseph's story. But basically, while Joseph is in Egypt, uh, through kind of this crazy series of events, Joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the uh, prime minister, the one of the rulers of Egypt. And, and years later, when the whole Middle East falls into this um, drought and food shortage that Joseph actually predicted, and then Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt looking for food. They're starving. And when they get there, who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, the, the younger brother that they sold into slavery years before. And, uh, and you may know the, the story already, but Joseph actually saves them from starving. And he forgives them and he provides for them. And it's this beautiful redemptive story. And, and so here you have this. These are the great grandchildren of Abraham who've done this heinous act to their brother. And, and somehow God transforms their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph actually says in the last paragraph of the entire book of Genesis. In Genesis 50, he says, you know, you guys planned this for evil. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And, and what's so amazing about these words that Joseph speaks is they, they not only conclude the book of Genesis, but in a way, they actually summarize the, 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 the whole message of the story so far. This idea that, you know, humans keep choosing evil and messing up and failing, and, and, and we might think they're screwing up God's plan, but somehow God keeps turning the evil back into good. And He's not done. Somehow there's this hint that he's going to use this family, the, the, the family of, uh, or the nation of Israel, to restore humanity back to the garden. You intended it to harm, says Joseph, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
Uh, we used this video um, in our Christmas service where we produced this video. And, and, and if you missed it, man, we had such fun on Christmas. Our Christmas Eve services, Christmas Day and online. Um, if you missed the Christmas service, you can actually, we'll put a link up to the YouTube video. You can catch up. Um, it was a great service. But, but in this video that we made, there's this great line that has kind of stuck with me ever since. And it's a line that says something like, you know what? The good news isn't that everything is good all the time. The good news is that God is good all the time. And that's what Joseph is saying here. He's saying, guys, you know, we tend to see life or things that happen to us or events that happen as good or bad. 2021 or 2020 was a bad year. You know, that thing that happened to me, that was a bad thing. So-and-so is a bad person. And we try to write it off or we try to forget it or we try to write them off. But God sees beyond that. He sees beyond our circumstances. God sees the heart. And he uses it all, the good and the bad, the pit, the prison, and the palace. You guys planned this for evil, says Joseph, but God intended it for good. And I want to say to you today, could it be? Could it be that where you see a pit, God sees purpose? Could it be that where you see a prison, God sees a plan? Could it be that in your life, that the, what the enemy meant for evil, what people meant for evil, God can use for good. Could it be? I'm preaching to someone now, and if this resonates with you, just say amen. I don't care if you're watching this on your own. No one's going to hear you anyway. Or write in the comments. Say, hey, you know what? That, that's, that's me. Now, I, before we close, I, I know what you might be thinking, because I know I've, I'm thinking it. I've thought it, is that <laughs> being in the pit sucks. <laughs> I mean, even if we know God is able to use Joseph's pit and prison experiences to bring about his plan, I'm pretty sure he wasn't excited about being thrown down a well by his brothers or being placed into prison for a crime he didn't commit. Being in a pit or going through a dark or difficult season is hard. I get it. And so the question is, or the question I want to answer is, well, then what do we do when we find ourselves in the pit? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe not. But at some point... <laughs> you and I will find ourselves in a, in a pit because, I mean, it's life. Pit happens. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little pun joke there. Just excuse me. But it happens. So what do we do? Well, very simply, we trust God. We trust God. When we find ourselves in a dark place, like Joseph, we continue to trust God. Corrie Ten Boom, one of my favorite quotes, she says, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. I love that. What do we do when we're in a pit? We trust God. When people have lied about you, trust God. When they try to strip you of your identity and your worth, trust God. When they try to take from your future, trust God. When you've lost everything, trust God. The Bible says, she who trusts in the Lord will not be disappointed. This is what faith is. I mean, to trust God when things are good, that's nothing. But to trust Him in the dark, that is faith. And this kind of faith, it doesn't mean uh, trusting God to stop the storms. It can mean trusting Him to strengthen us as we walk through the storm.
Now, I was wondering whether I should share this or not, but I'm going to because I've still got some time and I, I think it's helpful. And, and, and actually, just a heads up, on Thursday this week, we're actually starting something new. Um, every Thursday, we're going to be posting a, a 10 minute or so video on, uh, on, on YouTube on some of just some of my thoughts, thoughts that, that I either didn't have time to put in the sermon or the preacher didn't have time to, to put in the sermon or thoughts that can help us go deeper in terms of living out our faith day to day. And uh, we're calling it 10 with Tom, um, exploring faith 10 minutes at a time. And, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, I'm going to be coming to you from my office and it's going to be very relaxed. But I, I would love for you to join me. I'll, I'll be posting, as I said, on, on, on YouTube every Thursday. And then also on Tuesdays, we're going to be doing a Grace podcast. It will also be posted on YouTube and it'll be available. You can listen to it audibly. Um, and we're going to be interviewing interesting people every week, um, exploring more around the, the Sunday message or the Sunday series we're in. And I think it's going to be super helpful um, in, in your journey of faith. So don't miss those two new things coming up Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, but anyway, I wanted to share with you from this book um, from Richard Raw called Adam's Return. And I'm sure I'll unpack in more detail these, these ideas at, at 10 with Tom someday. But, but Raw talks about the five promises. And the reason I want to just quickly share those five promises with you is because I really think they can help us to shift some things in our thinking and to trust God in the pits of our lives that we find ourselves in. And so, so here are the five rules uh, according to Raw, and, and I love these. Um, you, you're not going to like them, but, but hang, hang with me. The first is, life is hard. <laughs> Two, you are not that important. Three, you are not in control. Four, your life is not all about you. Five, you are going to die. You're welcome. I mean, I mean, you might be thinking, Tom, I mean, let me just go outside and bang my head against the wall. I mean, those are, those are like the five most depressing statements I've ever heard. I mean, especially at the start of a new year. What are you trying to do? But, but, but honestly, these statements, they may appear harsh up front, but I think they're incredibly liberating. Um, and I want to just unpack them. The first is life is hard. Now, I mean, you know this one already. This is not news. I don't have to tell you this. You know life is hard. L live long enough, you're going to figure it out. But the freeing thing about that is actually embracing this truth, expecting it so that when bad things happen, we're not surprised and we don't take on a victim mindset. How, you know, how could this happen? And this is so unfair. I mean, Jesus never promises us an easy life. He actually tells us ahead of time in this life, you will have trouble. Life is hard. It's, it's actually a freeing truth. And so is the second uh, truth. The, the second promise is that you are not that important. <laughs> uh, remember the Tower of Babel? I mentioned it earlier as part of the Genesis story where the scattering took place. And, but there's this line in the story where the people who are building the tower say, let us make a name for ourselves by building this tower. And I mean, that didn't go well for them. But but it's interesting because later in the story in Genesis, when we get to Abraham, there's this line that says that God bestowed a great name on this no-name guy, Abram. And I thought, wow, what a contrast. Because, you know, as, as followers of Christ, as children of God, we don't have to make a name for ourselves. We don't have to try be more important than we actually are. We don't have to build our brands because we have a Father in heaven who is more than capable of giving us an inheritance. You're not that important, and that's okay. Because it's in our weakness that He is made strong. And it's when we humble ourselves that God raises us up. Third promise. 
you are not in control. <laughs> I mean, if 2020 and 2021 has taught us anything, it's that we're not in control. And the reason that that truth is so freeing is that it means that we can stop trying to control that which we can't and focus on that which we can. <laughs> and you know what I can control? Myself. My attitude, my words, my decisions, my temper. Some of you may not know this or believe this about me, but I actually have a pretty bad temper, especially with my kids. I can, I can redline pretty quick. But this year, one of my focuses is, is you know, I'm not going to focus on what other people around me are doing, even my family, or, or not doing. I'm going to focus on my response. And I simply don't want to rise to the occasion. I want to break the pattern in Jesus' name because I need Jesus' help. The fourth promise is this. Your life is not all about you. I mean, man, what a countercultural message, right? You don't see that on Instagram too much. Your life is not about you, you know. Um, the world says it's all about you. You're awesome. You're important. You be you. And I love the line Joseph speaks to his brothers. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. What is that? The saving of many lives. You see, Joseph knew it was never actually about him. It was actually always about a much bigger plan. And it was never about just simply rescuing and redeeming Joseph out of a prison. It was about rescuing and redeeming an entire nation. And through that nation, the entire world. I mean, can you imagine if Joseph had just made it about himself? Oh, this happened to me. Oh, this is so unfair. And he refused to forgive his brothers. The nation of Israel would have died out. Your life is not all about you. And then the final promise, the final truth statement is this. You are going to die. I hate to break it to you, but we're all going to die. The Stoics have a saying in Latin. They say memento mori, which literally means remember you will die. Um, and I don't think this is some morbid statement. I think it's, it's a freeing statement. It's a liberating statement because it reminds us of the, of the preciousness, of the precariousness of life, how fleeting it can be. And I remember um, a guy that I follow, he was a dad, and he, he says, you know, um, he's talking about how we often rush through the settling of our kids and putting them to sleep, and it's like we're trying to get somewhere else. And he asks this question, what are you rushing towards? And that really struck me, because most of the time I'm rushing towards Netflix, or I'm rushing towards checking my emails or whatever. And really what he says is true. Actually, what I'm rushing towards is my own death. <laughs> because we all have a clock that's ticking down. And one day it will stop. And it helped me to realize, you know what? Setting the kids, this is my life right now. It's happening. Embrace it. Be present to it. Life is hard. You are not that important. You are not in control. Your life is not all about you. And you're going to die. And I think Joseph understood all of this. And I think it helped him. It helped him to get a perspective. It helped him to continue to trust God in the pit, in the prison, and in the palace. And to use what God had given him for a greater purpose. And you know what? From Joseph's line came Jesus, the Savior of the world. And like Joseph, Jesus too would leave his home and his father. Like Joseph, Jesus' brothers would hate him and want him dead. Like Joseph, he too would be sold for pieces of silver. He too would be punished even though he'd done nothing wrong. 
but God. But God, as Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. But God would use everything that happened to Jesus, even the bad things, even the worst thing, the cross, to do something good, to do something great, to forgive the sins of the whole world and to set us free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your freedom that you've purchased for us at great cost. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, whether we find ourselves in a pit, in a prison or a palace, help us to continue to trust in you because you are a trustworthy God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.